Hello, comic book and pop culture fans. It's Wednesday, January 1st, 2020, and this is Comics Deep Dive. News from the multiverse. Hello, 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 and we're back for the first time. This is technically the first episode of Comics Deep Dive. As I write this, I hear the voice of John Oliver, but when I read this, I will simply not be. Now, if you're a longtime listener to this show, then you're one of four people, and all I can say is, hello, mother. As for the rest of you, when we went to holiday break, we were at the start of season two, and things were progressing. Now, there is one really great thing about podcasting independently, thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor, yeah, our recording tools and interface aren't great, but how much did this cost you again? Yeah, Anchor, that's what we thought. (laughs) Okay, okay, as I was saying, the great thing about podcasting is that you are your own boss, and as my boss... I canceled my terrible, terrible podcast. <laughs> you guys. The studio audience is a new addition to the show. They're called the studio audience. Give yourselves a hand. I'm also the new sound engineer. I'm also joining the st- and also joining the staff as producer Tracy V, who will be heard all over the show. So yeah, I canceled Comics Deep Dive with D-Maddox. Hopefully Anchor will let me get rid of every god-awful episode. Not to say I didn't learn some new tricks, I obviously did. But I learned so much that I knew I could make a really good show. I just didn't want to build on top of my growing pains. Fear not, the gist of the original dive is still hidden deep within our new show. The primary focus will still be a graphic novel. This season will feature Crisis on Infinite Earths as intended originally. The show has gone from being completely off the cuff to fully scripted. That gives me a lot more work per episode, but it also allows me to do some much more in each episode in exchange. So, we're going to have some old fun and some new fun as we poke fun at event comics and a bunch of other things. I also had better talk to you about the multiverse router I picked up on eBay. With it, I have been able to get a bunch of cool stuff from across the web of Infinite Earth. This is a real device. I simply choose to never provide evidence of this. Out of convenience, there's no telling that we'll get from across the multiverse. But because it is an absolutely real thing that I didn't make up at all, it will remain a bit after the season ends. (laughs) Well, pretty much. We'll be checking out the news from the multiverse on a weekly basis with a new story about the big event of the season every week. Think of it as the Watergate of our shitty fictional comic book multiverse news show. And now, this. (laughs) 
Today's episode is brought to you by a podcast from the multiverse. Time Cops is a shocking expose about how televising the exploits of the Time Bureau has actually led to more abuse of time than ever before. Listen as Snapper Carr and Cisco Ramon of Earth 397 reveal how viewers saw the show as a challenge, resulting in a staggering number of brazen time alterations. Simply staggering. You can hear episode one now on the Anchor app of Earth 397. Wow, it says here that Anchor assumes self-awareness on that Earth, and now everything runs on it. Everything is free, and things are super easy there. Apparently on 397, self-aware AIs are cool like that. ain't that cute. Skynet has a girlfriend. Isn't that the plot to the last Terminator? Probably. (laughs) I'm old. I can't keep up with all this new movies that come out, I tell you. Seriously. You're old now. Durr. I was saying I was older when that was the last one that came out. Look, never mind. I believe you have a special report for the multiverse. Indeed, I do. This is Tracy V with a special report from Huffington Post on EarthX. The Post has uncovered a scathing expose that reveals that the American government was terrifyingly inept during the events later dubbed as Crisis. In 1985, Earth One Time, EarthX had only recently driven back the threat of Nazis. In fact, on EarthX, Hitler was still alive and had dominated the world for decades. This drastic change in what we consider to be proper history is what convinced the freedom fighters of Earth 2 to move to Earth X permanently, ultimately proving to be a futile sacrifice, as Hitler and the Nazis would win the war despite the efforts of the not even the Watchmen. (laughs) While ultimately victorious on the one Earth where the Nazis won, Earth X was barely in any shape to deal with the crisis the likes of a wave of pure antimatter destroying everything it touches. We didn't know exactly how bad until now. There was never a United Nations on Earth-X, and the UN's predecessor, the League of Nations, never formed either. The Earth-X America wasn't the proud country it pretends to be today. No, everyone was quite aware that it could all fall apart at any second. Internal memos between departments and official call records point out exactly how bad the panic over the antimatter wave's arrival really was. This is an excerpt from the memo from the Office of the President on Earth X in 1985. It appears as though this is from recorded audio from the White House to the Office of House Speaker, presumably Tip O'Neill of Earth X. We don't know what to do here, Mr. Speaker. Pat has relieved himself several times and is currently refusing to take any calls. Other documents have been found to verify that the person referred to as Pat is none other than the EarthX version of Pat Buchanan, who, like on our Earth, was the White House Communications Director in 1985. It's hard to say how much different their Pat is from ours, but one thing is for certain. Pat Buchanan of EarthX was absolutely not the guy for this job. Buchanan apparently suffered from a bout of incontinence that would have gone down as the stuff of legends if the world weren't already 
ending at that time. That should have been the most extraordinary part of this story. But none of this came to light until Buchanan had been discovered to be alive after all these years, somehow managing to survive the entire event. Buchanan was apparently pretending to be a hobo in Central Park. <laughs> it is also possible that he was simply a hobo time had forgotten. After searching through three decades worth of layers of clothing, the transcripts from that date and other top secret documents were found. While the disgraced, disgrace, is currently in custody, it is unclear if Buchanan will be formally charged with the crime. Honestly, what type of punishment is worse than his own reality? Back to you, Dee. I wish I could say that it's impossible to imagine Pat Buchanan shitting himself into a urine-soaked panic at the sight of a wall of nothing, eating everything it touches. It's weird though, isn't it? These days, the last thing I can imagine Pat Buchanan being is a director of communications. From what I know, his primary communication skill is humored, contemptuous glaring. Basically, you never see Pat Buchanan smile in person. He's only smiling because he's killed you. Alright, our next story requires a wee bit of explaining. There is a massive multiverse out there of all kinds of versions of our universe, our galaxy, and our solar system. I'm no scientist. So I'm completely comfortable with claiming to not fully understand a quasi-scientific at f***ing best plot device I made up as a way to tell jokes. So, some Earths, oddly enough, will be places where the characters from the book we're examining happen to live. Would you look at that? The various Earths will and will not have various obvious rules that we'll point out as we go. And you know because we're making this shit up. The story comes from what the router says is Earth 101. So far, what sets this Earth apart is one very weird little oddity. The only difference on Earth 101 from our own is that every movie comes with a post credit scene. Yes, every movie. Going back to the first movie, ever. It's basically how movies are made and why people stay throughout the credits on that Earth. Why tell you about this special Earth? To f*** with you. Of course. Basically, I want you to watch the movie in question and now not be able to unforget a post credit scene that isn't there in your version of the film. However, it might fix your favorite movie. You're welcome in advance. This inaugural spot is for the film The Santa Claus. What's wrong with The Santa Claus, you might ask? Sarcastically? Okay, look. It's a little weird that OG Santa totally f***ing dies the op to open the story. It's just plain weird, and the whole adventure is a death sentence no matter how you look at it. I don't know about you, but I'd like to not to think about that beloved Christmas movie is low-key pushing the death penalty on unsuspecting families. Seriously, that's Tim Allen. I refuse to buy that he supports the death penalty. That's more than a hippie growing up to found Enron by far. It's close to that nice kid from next door growing up to be Stephen Miller, however. No, this was one of those things that came out of organic film development. Legend has it that in the original cut, 
Tim Allen shoots Santa off the roof. The slip and fall death was a compromise. Why was the line, the line drawn there? Because it's a Santa Claus. He whosoever has murdered this quasi-religious fantasy creature, if he be a wildly popular TV dad, then he must now fulfill at least a three-picture deal. So, they were kind of stuck with OG Santa losing his life in a way that could at best be described as unceremonious. But because we are talking about jolly old Saint Nick, it's not hard to imagine that this is the heartbreaking tragic ending to a Santa movie where the camera pans away into the sky as a father and son inspect the body of our lead character. In what Siskel and Ebert would have necessarily called the putrid love child of Rec Room for a Dream and Santa Claus the movie. Look, you're welcome for that visual. But I didn't bring you here for that. Okay, I totally did. But also this. Remember that when the Santa Claus opens, we never get a good look at OG Santa. That's super intentional, by the way, because unbeknownst to the audience at the time, this Santa, who was more than likely Tim Allen's stunt double, is about to die. He even waves goodbye before he goes, without getting to say anything. And there it is. OG Santa stunt double vanishes. All we need to fix this issue and keep our guy Tim Allen from doing life as Santa is a brief post credit scene. We never got a good look at OG Santa, right? It's assumed he's not the OG OG Santa, right? There's no Mrs. Claus in the North Pole, right? Yeah. There's a sad suicide angle to this OG Santa thing, now that I think about it. But, but, but. On Earth 101, Kevin James suddenly appears in his living room after the credits of the Santa Claus roll. He goes upstairs and wakes his sleeping son and says, I'm all done. Slip off a roof. That new guy seemed nice. See, now Santa's not dead. And he was Kevin James. We love him when he's not the president or a mall security guard or, or in love with a rich woman that he technically works for. See? Now the next time you watch the Santa Claus, when it opens, you'll feel like you just watched Kevin James fall to his death as the weird sequel to Punch Truck Love We Just Avoided wraps up. Again, you're welcome. And now, this. Hey y'all, it's Tracy B with some info for your ears. In case you haven't noticed, we're going commercial free for a little bit. D doesn't want me to tell you this, but his anchor commercial spot, well, it sucks. He recorded it in the bathroom. It's obvious. We want to actually attract advertisers, so we figure less is more for now. I do want to thank Anchor for existing in the first place. They've created an awesome platform for us to bring you this podcast. If you yourself are interested in podcasting, check out what Anchor has to offer by going to anchor.fm or downloading an app for your phone. Also, 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 don't forget that you can listen to the show on the Anchor app, of course. 
Also, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. That's just for now. Looking at you, Stitcher. You. You are our white will. We will hear our episode right before that jingle, baby. Legitimacy. We will have it. Uh, back to you, dude. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it has been made clear to me that I must do whatever I can to get the show on the Stitcher platform. I do believe that I have special knee pads around here someplace. (laughs) For now, on to our top story. Please understand that I am aware that a few of you listeners are here to get a deeper understanding of crisis on infinite earths. And I promise you, absolutely nothing in that regard. Okay, 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 we will discuss the book at length, but all of it will be filtered through this bit I'm going to cling to harder than Charlton Heston clung to his favorite rifle. I believe he's still holding on to it, in fact. So, let's provide a little background here before we take our look at our top story via the multiverse router. In 1985, DC Comics released the very first 12-issue crossover event in its publishing history also called a maxi-series due to the fact that the mini-series of books and stories had already been introduced. Remember that 12 issues is a big deal. That's a whole year's worth of comics, an entire year of waiting for more story in order to get to a conclusion. Need I remind you, I said a conclusion. This is DC Comics, a living, breathing, universe, dare I say multiverse of narrative storylines designed to go on to infinity, not beyond. That is literally the dumbest catchphrase which is why it is hilarious. But look, that's why guys my age laugh at millennials who complain about waiting for things. Oh, you had to wait two weeks for a show you can watch in one sitting? Or a TV series takes a full two calendar years before they produce new episodes? We had reruns for half the damn year. Please, cry here so I might quench my deep thirst with your sad tears. Crisis was a huge story, with a number of stunning story developments that literally showed the rest of the industry how it was done. It's only slightly hyperbolic to say that the overwhelming success of Crisis encouraged competing company Marvel Comics Group to follow suit with a huge event of their own within a decade. That event would be called the Infinity Gauntlet, and by now, you know how history played out. If you look at Disney Studios from space, All that can be seen is a massive mountain of cash. In the comic book written masterfully by Marv Wolfman and drawn beautifully by George Perez, the story starts with the immediate threat facing the multiverse. A massive wall of pure white antimatter that destroys whatever it touches, which in this case is the entire f***ing universe. Now, the very first universe we see get destroyed isn't identified. The people there were wearing 70s fashion, so it's clear that they deserve to die. Seriously, a world stuck in the 70s is stuck with black exploitation films for starters. We don't need to stay there for any reason. The poorly dressed jerks from the 70s Earth die unceremoniously, never knowing the pleasures of black dynamite, hilariously pointing out how lame they were. 
Our story will focus on the next stop for the antimatter wave, Earth 3, better known as the asshole Earth, where the good are bad and the bad are lame. We took a weekend and checked out Earth 3's internet and all the information they provided to bring you the following. A story about how corruption doomed Earth 3 long before the antimatter wave arrived on the edge of their universe. Now, it's important to consider the matter of self-perception. In short, most of us consider ourselves decent enough to be around others. The only reason that works is because most, if not all of us, have to fundamentally agree on what that is. It's important to remember that our entire criminal justice system is reliant upon the understanding that all parties involved understand that a wrong was committed. When that is in question, it must be answered before anything else can proceed. So yes, on our earth, even some of the worst people can still understand the severity of their actions and the harm they inflicted. They just suck and don't give a shit. Like Betsy DeVos. <laughs> earth 3 is the polar opposite of our own, and that means the polar opposite of what I just pointed out. Yeah, there are heroes like Lex Luthor and such, but they all deep down recognize the different natural order of things that we would consider corrupt. Now, the Injustice Society or league depending on the publication date. No, I'm serious. They literally call themselves the injustice. What does it even matter? There's no way an organization like that comes into being if there isn't an underlying understanding that that is okay. We would fuck Superman if it came right down to it. I mean, anyway. Events that would take place decades later involving the sole survivor of Earth 3 at the time would give credence to this claim. According to some of the harder to find documents on Earth-3's version of the dark web, it appears that Power Woman and Vandal Savage were running around way back when. That means Ultraman crash landed on a world that was already all the way bad. His power got him to a seat at the head of a table that had been there since the dawn of time. It permeated every aspect of history. There seemed to be similar beats because humanity is humanity, but a lot of the outcomes were so different certain major points never came to be. Doesn't seem as though there was much of a Nazi threat amongst other powerful nations. The metahuman effect on politics had long since navigated certain waters differently. Metahuman control of the planet was mostly dynastic with one group of superpowered beings running the show either upfront or discreetly, but controlling things nonetheless. If that doesn't put a smile on your face, Donald Trump has been president on Earth 3 for the last 20 years. Do with that information what you will. This leads us to the point. Organizations like NASA were shown to exist, but their sheer lack of utility to a society such as this left them grossly underfunded. Now, it's important to point out that the antimatter wave would have destroyed everything whether they knew it or not. However, with some degree of advanced warning, one guy was able to hatch an escape plan. He was the Earth's technical hero, Lex Luthor himself. Being on the outs as a hero in a society that sees bad as good would mean that he hardly benefited from his genius. That would mean that most of society did not benefit from the technology, including NASA. There is a world where very few would bribe NASA or even fund them. Luther is just as much an outlaw on Earth 3. 
No one is even paid to watch the sky on Earth 3 at all. Earth 3 was doomed. There were a dozen things on the horizon that the planet was ill-equipped to deal with, not including the long-ignored global warming crisis in full swing on the planet now. If not for magic, Earth 3 would have been devoid of life 30 years ago. That's some food for thought, I suppose. Not like we are looking down the barrel of the same issue here. At any rate, before we call it a day, we'd like to acknowledge the awesome work the CW has been doing on their rendition of Crisis on Infinite Earths. We're waiting patiently for the event to resume, just like you, and to that end, here is Tracy V with a special on episode one of that series. Hey guys, it's your girl Tracy B here with my top five light of crisis on infinite earth. Now I must warn you guys, I'm not as much of a fan as D is. I mean, my only introduction to this series is through him. So, you know, when he's watching or reading and he gets real excited about it, I wonder if he's going crazy or losing his mind. Now that is how you bring back the Mandalorian. But that's neither here nor there. He asked me to go on and, you know, talk about the five things that I like while watching the episode. And that's what I'm going to discuss starting now. Five. Okay, the first thing I liked about the episode was all of the cameos. I mean, there were so many cameos that I saw all of the folks from older DC Comics universes, you know, like Robin, you know, we had some other characters, Commissioner Gordon. I thought it was so interesting. And I smiled when I saw these folks, you know, I was like, oh, I remember him. Brought me back to the days, you know. Four. Martian Manhunter's ears. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love this character. Love him to death. Love, love, love him. And I also did a little research and find out that, you know, he's an English guy. So he's awesome. But um, those ears kind of bothered me. I, I thought they were makeup. And I I'm ashamed to say, guys, um, those are his actual ears. So, uh, we'll be moving on to like number three. <laughs> three. And the third thing I liked about the story was Lila the Harbinger. Now, I don't know much about her, but what I do know is that she had an awesome-ass uniform. I love that suit. Okay, D, you heard that? Love that suit. Make a note of that for next time, you know? Just... You have that knowledge? Just saying. Okay? Okay. Two. The next thing that I liked is the antimatter wave. Now, it was weird at first, but the way that it takes over everything, it kind of, you know, like, kind of got me, you know? And I, I must admit, and he's not going to like this, but I, I haven't really saw a never-ending story, so I, I'd had nothing to compare it to. And I do apologize for that. And as a result, I'm going to move on to the first thing. One. I really like this character. And when his death came along, me not knowing it was going to happen, it really threw me off guard. You guys know who I'm talking about, Arrow. <sighs> D loves this guy. He loves a lot of characters. But, you know, looking at the emotional toll that it took on all the characters and then seeing that he made that big sacrifice at the end. Oh my God, it made me love that guy even more so. 
So there you have it, guys. My top five likes of Crisis on Infinite Earth. And again, this is your girl, Tracy V. And I'll catch you next go around. Bye. Oh, thank you very much, Tracy. Okay, that's our show. Hope you have a good rest of your day this fine Wednesday, the first of the year. We'll see you next Wednesday afternoon with more news from across the multiverse.